welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm your guest host, Simon Mainby, and today I'm talking to SNC coach Mark Williams. Uh, Mark's uh, a long-time uh, friend of mine, and we've got some interesting things we want to talk to. So we're going to do the first sort of half an hour-ish as uh, a commute-type quick takeaways, some sort of key points, bullet points, and then try and get into a bit of a deeper discussion around um, SNC, um, around variability and autonomy and various different things that we've had some very good discussions on so i'll just hand it over to mark if you just tell us a little bit about about what you're up to now and a little bit about your background what you did in rugby and and your sort of path into coaching and what what you're what you what you've done to get to where you are now yeah sure so um yeah thanks for having me on uh firstly um so yeah in a former life i was a rugby player um played semi-professionally like most people had ambitions of playing professionally. Um, I just don't think I was quite good enough, not necessarily big enough. I, I was a prop. Uh, that was all my skill set would permit at that time. Um, and so for me, the need was always to be larger and to try and be bigger and stronger and all the things that young rugby players tend to want to be. So um, while studying at St Mary's University in Twickenham, uh, and playing rugby, I kind of got interested and very much um, influenced uh, around strength training and conditioning uh, for rugby by some of the strength and conditioning coaches that that were based at the university or uh, at Bracknell Rugby Club, where I spent some time as well. And um, yeah, from then on, I was doing a sports science degree, so I was clearly interested in human performance and and elements of sports and exercise science. But it was then when I become truly kind of fascinated really with how you can improve physical performance through um you know this this thing called strength and conditioning um anyway kind of thereafter i took a job at a, a further education college and that was a dual role so i was teaching but also i was kind of tasked with helping the uh, rugby coach that was leading the the rugby program there at the time to evolve things and and to start to um, I guess build something more towards a rugby academy there was a number of them around um, at the time uh, and I guess Hartbury was the kind of beacon for that so uh, we played against Hartbury on a number of occasions back then and I used to have some very good talks with their coaching staff and yeah I kind of just wanted to tap into what it was that they had done how they started and and try and emulate really and so um, yeah I was basically a rugby coach and then started to build some strength and conditioning uh, into what the guys were doing, the lads. And that was kind of really early doors, like 7am, get into the into the college and, and lift before college. And, you know, it was reliant on, I guess, these, these young uh, lads' parents dropping them off early or, you know, them being really willing and, and uh, committing to getting up early and getting into college, um, you know, at 7am, ready to go. So, yeah, from then... Um, then on we kind of rolled out a bit of a, a strength and conditioning provision to all of the students so I, I ended up working with netball players um uh, some some of the track and field athletes although there wasn't that many of those um and also the basketball squad and we had a, a good basketball squad uh, back then this is kind of 2010 um and some some very good players and, and a good setup there a, a very good coach accomplished coach um, so yeah, that that kind of, I guess, was me starting to transition 
um, towards more of a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I loved I loved coaching rugby. Um, I, I kind of really felt that I was best placed in that regard as like someone that was good at seeing what needed to happen and then finding people that came into the role so over a period of time so sorry coming into different posts and coming into different roles within the the coaching um setup at the college and so I kind of started to get a realization that perhaps my game understanding wasn't brilliant so you know some of the people that I had working with me they could see things that I couldn't see so I felt like I was better in a not I wasn't a director of rugby at all but you know kind of a a head coach that had people that were good at doing the actual I guess developing the game that we were trying to play um and then yes so that was then me as I say transitioning I was rugby coaching but moving more towards strength and conditioning and then um I had an opportunity to transition fully into strength and conditioning and I went to Southend United Football Club They were then League Two. Um, I spent six seasons there, which included a promotion uh, from uh, League Two to League One via the playoffs, which was a a great experience and something, uh, you know, truly uh, memorable that I'll always look back on. uh, The people that were involved, the players, the coaches, um, you know, it was was just a great time and I learned a lot lot of lessons through that. Um, And then alongside that, I started I mentioned I did some work with some basketball players I continued to work with the college academy basketball setup um, even while working at South End United and uh, eventually um, a role came up with GB Basketball and I applied and was successful in my application and yeah went in as uh, the lead strength and conditioning coach with the senior squads that was across both the men and the women and um, I've been involved really with that provision or, or that program uh, since 2015. Um, more latterly, I've been more focused on working with the players that are part of the talent program. Um, so that's the youth players, the developmental players that are working their way up uh, through Basketball England's talent pathway. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of my story so far. And so working with GB Basketball, <clears throat> quite a lot of that is is done remotely, isn't it? And so when we, we've hit this current situation with the pandemic and the lockdown, did that set you up quite well to, to be able to deal with things like this because you've been doing a lot of uh, remote type coaching? Uh, yeah, no, I think, yes, certainly in that, you know, kind of not having that face-to-face interaction, you, you're used to that. The circumstances is right now so unique you know so previously writing a program um was far easier because you could find out where the players were based what they had access to in terms of resources um and you know what did they need at that moment in time um history of injuries could be factored in and yeah it was a far easier there was less constraints so now we're looking at a situation where Okay, you're geared up for you know you're you've got experience in programming for athletes remotely and and having dialogue with them remotely. But um, now it's like right, well, well, what can you access? What have you got within the confines of your house, or you know what can you do locally at the park? 
um, given the current situation with the lockdown. So, yeah, I, I think it's unique for everyone and we're learning as we go. And I'm quite enjoying it because I think that, you know, it's forcing us to maybe break out of the mould that we find ourselves in at times. And, um, you know, actually, how much of the training that we typically give out or I've been giving out in the past has has just been kind of, you know, superfluous or, you know, beyond what it needs to be you know you have to really strip back now and it's kind of just forcing me to have to be creative which I enjoy you know so um yeah it 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 kind of has set me up I guess um but like I say there's there's challenges that make it a lot harder but that's that's kind of the new challenge for me so what what would be the sort of things that you practically that you'll probably take going forward from stripping stuff back you know certainly a lot of uh, snc coaches talk about this in their development it starts off with pretty much all the bells and whistles mm. the kitchen sink thrown in in terms of exercises and then they start to narrow and refine that's and that that's a natural process of being an snc coach but now this is this is like the ultimate acid test it's the ultimate constraint and so what are the sorts of things that you've taken like practically from this that in terms of exercises or program design that kind of thing yeah i think um I really like, you know, this This is other people that I read uh, and, and take ideas from, um, you know, so the, the idea around consistency that Dan Clever, I think, talks of in his, uh, his book. And I think that's ultimately it. So in this period of time now, people can be consistent with you know, even even basic elements of a program, and that might be mobility, and that might be um, you know some movement patterns, or you know what we what we might term fundamental athletic skills. Those those things that I guess you know become um, lost and lose attention and focus from athletes. You know, when you're in the middle of everything else, and there's a long list of other, you know, you mentioned bells and whistles there's all the the more exciting stuff well now it's like right well let's let's focus in on how you're moving in that pattern there or um you know can can we do something now to affect your um ability to move through a fuller range and if we're doing that then actually you know that's something that maybe was missing previously that might open up another avenue that you can explore and take advantage of and exploit when you are able to access more training means so you know for example i guess um you know like i'll really want um i I like to build lots of range of movements around the hips um and you know arguably when players are in season and warming up they might not necessarily give that their full of their full attention and focus and whereas now you know there's time <laughs> there's there's a boredom factor whereby okay well they can focus on it because there's not much else to distract them so you know if they make those changes then potentially then when they come back to the court or back to the game they are in a position where you can take advantage of that or they can in their performances, but you can start layering more, um, uh, more detailed or, or, or different avenues to their training that previously you couldn't. Uh, I've got a question about that, but just quickly. So you mentioned Dan Clever and his book, but I just wanted to clarify for those who don't know who, who is Dan and what is his book and where can they have a little look at that? Yes. So uh, Dan is uh, he he has been the program lead at St Mary's University for the Masters in Strength and Conditioning, 
Um, he is also uh, previously a strength and conditioning coach with the English Institute of Sports. And more recently, he's authored um, a couple of different books. Um, but the book that I mentioned there was the uh, Little Black Book of, I think it's Strength Training Wisdom. I believe that's the full title. Uh, but you can access that on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Um, so as far as uh, what you were saying there, sort of you were talking about range of motion and things like that, there'll be certain exercises and there's certain things that you can do that little and often will really help. So, for example, in this kind of situation, people sit around, they haven't got much to do. Little and often work on their range of movement, that kind of thing. So have you got some sort of examples? Could you give us a, possibly without naming names of people, but give some examples of the types of things that you're, you're getting people to do. So, for example, a player that had an injury and this is the kind of exercise you you've done just so people can get a flavor of yeah sure so um like basketball players um will present frequently and, and young basketball players with uh, quadriceps tendinopathy and, and what they will describe as knee pain or jumper's knee so right now we've got an opportunity where they're reducing their their jumping loads um they're not obviously on the courts at the moment um, and one observation of mine is that they tend to, uh, and this is in kind of, you know, basic uh, movement uh, skills. So, you know, squatting, lunging, hinging, they lack um, control in those patterns. And particularly, they don't seem to very well engage through the posterior chain. So hamstrings, glutes, um, they, they tend to be very quad dominant. So... What I, I will do now is spend a lot of time trying to get them to, to focus on um, range of movement um, and patterns around using um, hamstrings, glutes, as I mentioned. And the view there is to try and offset the burden on the same tissues all of the time. So um, this is, like I mentioned, a unique opportunity to, to teach people things where they can spend some time doing it hopefully feel the benefits from it and then when they return uh, they've almost built some habits now and some understanding of patterns that previously they kind of didn't have time to to consider or focus upon and certainly didn't develop and now they're in a position whereby okay they can engage other musculature well if we then want to load that if the if the appropriate time presents we can do that um but at the very least we're kind of offering them different solutions as in like they can move their body in a different way it's not the repetitive burden on the same tissues and the same structures over and over um so yeah that's kind of what i'm focusing on is is really just movement in a very generalized and i guess kind of limited way so you know like the squatting hinging that i mentioned so you, you'd be doing that with the exercises you give the, the athletes and is there any sort of support you're giving in coaching through uh, online video like would they video themselves and send it to you or yeah so we're we're, we're kind of verging on uh, for basketball england um releasing a program to the uh to the the kind of uh associations that are uh, there through membership to basketball england um so coaches can access but players that are affiliated to a club that is within um the basketball england membership can access a program whereby we will target movement skill we will target 
basic kind of as we see it athletic movement skills that are required as precursors to then move to more advanced strength and conditioning or um i guess kind of setting them up for uh, general athleticism that is otherwise probably lost in their in their journey as athletes um as young players it tends to be very much basketball oriented and not much room for anything else and that sometimes is down to time constraints you know if they if they've got access to a gymnasium with their club for an hour um you know that that's an hour that will likely be spent on basketball so yeah right now we are looking at rolling out this program so that all of these players affiliated with clubs that are part of basketball england can access and there will be videos so going back to your question that there are videos that go with that there's explanations instructional information um as well as the template to the program that has everything laid out as as clearly hopefully as it can be for them to understand and so basically what i take from that is you're you're stripping them back and getting them doing body weight squats proper lunges that kind of thing with yeah really spot on technique really hitting hitting on onto that because yeah we've been neglected yeah absolutely and you know spot on technique becomes another conversation entirely but yeah, yeah. yeah but i guess the biggest thing is that they focus on it you know so i i sometimes wonder whether players perform some of those movement patterns badly just because they don't it doesn't resonate with them they can't see a connection to performance um so by like i said earlier by virtue of the fact they've got little else going on um they can't do much right now so if there is a series of exercises then your hope or my hope is that you know that they'll do them with some intent and through that intent and focus um they'll get the rewards and they'll get some return that we can then carry forward so looking at that from a, a rugby perspective do you think a lot of that would be very similar in, in a rugby scenario so you've got you know if, the, if there's rugby coaches listening to this that aren't necessarily snc specialists or, or whatever but they've got players maybe in a grass grassroots club or a lot of semi-pro you know you've you've coached all the way through every scenario from grassroots all the way up and so what sorts of things should coaches be be working on is that sort of approach going to be the same for the rugby players we're going to talk in general terms not, not in terms of specifics of, of positions but in general terms for, for rugby players is that a good opportunity to get back i mean i, I know that when i i go certain places you, you watch people warming up and you know when they're doing their press-ups or <laughs> you, you see some lunges and you're like that's pretty interesting mm. so yeah um i think so i mean this is partly my my take on training um you know and i'm not saying that it's necessarily correct but through my own observations and over time and some stuff that i think we'll talk about later around research towards this um yeah i think that the sport itself is obviously the king you know for for each of these individuals it's about performance on a game day and so you know of course they need to spend the larger proportion of their time practicing and training towards the sport and the sport specific um, skills that go with that um, but underpinning this is the ability to to function in a general sense and so you know if if the sport creates conditions where by these players adapt and there's there's particular requirements based on position and the sport well i guess what we're trying to do to to some extent is fill in the gaps with the general training and so 
you know, I'll, I'll take a, a rugby example um, into into this part of the conversation. So, you know, lots of rugby players, particularly, I guess, um, you know, front uh, row and and you know, uh, front five players, let's say, so the front row and the second row, they'll probably spend a lot of time developing strength uh, through their back and, and lower body and maybe neglect what's going on through their trunk. And, you know, so, so a basic plank exercise might be something that despite their their great strength in a deadlift, that is actually something that's really deficient. Um, and guess what they they kind of present having back pain and and things like that so i'll often uh particularly if it's in season with uh with front row players just say to them look all i really want you to be doing is like planks and and trunk based basics basic strength training that is um body weight but focusing on the trunk and anterior trunk in particular so um yeah, I think that this is an opportunity. So there might be some slightly different, um, you know, there might be a different emphasis within this. Um, but I think by and large, what I'm what I'm talking about is the same thing. It's stripping it back and it's just saying, right, can you get into these positions? Can you move through these ranges? And can you do it consistently well and under different conditions? So when I say about different conditions, um, you know, so when you're tired, and you know if we've introduced some running maybe or we've done so, so um i did a live session the other week with a basketball player as part of uh, basketball england um project that's that's currently going and um yeah the player was doing some skills and when they're when they're working out you know it's hard like the, the skills sessions they do is is tough going um and so yeah from that then challenging some of these movement skills again to say right can you do it now um and then going back into skills off the back of that so that's kind of changing the orientation of the task each time to challenge their ability to move in those ranges and you know accomplish as i see it the pattern that is desirable so what so what did that look like in the session what sort of things were you getting him to do from a snc perspective and then because you just sort of explained that what was happening in terms of this yeah so you were on instagram live doing a session yeah so uh we had a player that joined uh, the session and he obviously we had this conversation ahead of the, the actual live session going out, but um, he essentially warmed up, followed some of my content. Um, so, and that was mobility work. That was movement through range in a squat, a hinge and, you know, different play on some of those patterns, but that was essentially the warm up. And then um, he went in some skills um and spent four minutes 20 seconds on um 10 seconds off approximately uh, going through these skills um and completed a four minute block i then took him or took ownership of the session again and took him through um some conditioning that was kind of lateral base work and it was limited because the idea is that we're doing it at home um right now because of the lockdown um and this is you know hopefully being viewed by players young players at home and, and you know the basketball fraternity so that they can stay active in this in this present moment so yeah point being that it was kind of a limited kind of series of shuttles and lateral movement um, and then he went back into skills and then we went back into some of the positions and postures that I'd required from him at the start of the session 
Um, so you had to repeat those at the end. So we're challenging those same movements and those same same positions that I was looking for at the start when he was in arguably a fresh state at the end when he's now carrying fatigue, he's tired. Um, and I'm asking him, can you get can you can you find those shapes and positions again now and show control uh, with different conditions to have to deal with? So is that something you were doing before? Would you do that in a, a normal training session or is it you sort of came up with that because of the lockdown? And, and is it something you would look to, to carry on to sessions? So rugby uh, coaches might to do some, something like that, warm up and interspersing some physical type activity and some S&C type activities with skills based stuff. And then check in, do your knees collapse in on the squat mm. when you're squatting again because you're really tired from having been in a scrummage or, you know, you yeah. Know, is you, you testing your fundamental movement pattern? Yeah, I, I am. Absolutely. Um, I can't claim to be the person that's kind of devised that or, or come up with that. I think, you know, that that is something that comes from um, Kelvin Giles. Uh, that's where I first come across, you know, the idea of movement breaks. So, um, you know, like getting more bites of the cherry, basically. So, you know, you might include some of these patterns in the in the warm up. And then there's an opportunity within the session where the coach, the technical coach may go and set up a separate um, or a, a new part of the session. And, you know, there's an opportunity there after a water break for, for the players to revisit some of these basic patterns. And then again, at the end, you know, how, how often do we see really badly done cool downs, which don't amount to very much at all. Um, you know, a, a really half hearted stretch and, you know, like, bit more of a chat than anything and it's like right well how about revisit two or three of these patterns that for certain players you know it might be like I said earlier something we've we've identified and, and suggested is important for that player revisit those movement skills again and the added benefit is that they are under fatigue and they're being challenged because of that fatigue in a different way and you know the idea being there that um, you know it's kind of ingraining the ability to move in that pattern or through that range uh under varying conditions where could um is that session still available online for people to go and have a look at um i'll need to check because i think with a live story it has limited time of availability but um yeah it may well be available on their archive on uh, on bus england's archive we'll see we'll, we'll see if we can get that in the in the notes the show notes okay. for the thing it, sort of along that line are there any just um, off the top of your head and if, if not you know because there's a lot out there are there any sort of resources you've seen that have been good for coaches you know there's a lot of videos there's a lot of content going out there is mm. it, was there anything that sort of stands out to you as being what are there other places to go and get yeah yeah just rest and see you know like some just some some videos or yeah um, sample workouts yeah there's some really good stuff out there um i think um you know what uh the uh, Tom Tom Farrow and Arite uh, performance are putting out. You know, I really like the content. Um, I guess that's kind of got a little bit more of a rugby feel to it as well. Um, so I, I think that there's some great content there. Um, trying to think, but the, the, you know, I think the FA are doing some really good stuff now, particularly around um, basing some of the the content on what they've over the last few years with the the England teams the national teams you know what they've seen as benchmarks in terms of physical capabilities and kind of rolling out um you know a kind of surrogate version of that for for people to tap into so yeah there's some great stuff out there um and you know 
I think there's uh, most governing bodies and, and clubs are putting together some some good resources at this moment in time. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the ones I saw was the RFU. There's a guy called Robin Eager, E-A-G-E-R, and uh, his Twitter name's at P-S-R-V-E. And he's, he's been doing stuff for England Rugby, which is quite a lot of bodyweight stuff. It's uh, mm. quite good to look at. So so if I was going to summarise briefly this this sort of first bit, which is sort of trying to be a bit more takeaways, uh, if I was going to summarise it, and then you tell me if I've got it right, is that basically this is a, this is a bit of an opportunity to get the simple things done really well, and to clean up things that often get missed out in the in the sort of rush of a season. Um, yeah. So just make sure that people are just doing basic things like doing their press ups properly, lunging properly, squatting properly, you know, feet flat on the floor, knees and lying on the toes, mm-hmm. just to, to really emphasise on that. Would that be a sort of fair summary of of what? Yeah. I think so. And and just to kind of add to that last, you know, with, with uh, a rugby club I've done some work with last season, we, we did mostly just that, you know, through the season, every session before every game, don't get me wrong, we changed the orientation of it. Um, but we were consistent with doing the same things with maybe just a slight twist in how they were executing something that might just simply be the change of tempo. So the speed by which they're, they're, carrying out a particular movement um but it was just emphasis on mobility and basic movement patterning and that was our key thing if you did anything else okay that's that's a bonus but you know it was a semi-professional environment just um so you know our our key thing was you turn up and before you go out before you go near a rugby ball you're into this kind of series of exercises and i i basically you know come away thinking that 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 was the key thing for them um in terms of maintaining their athleticism when it comes to um you know needing to top up with additional fitness or we had an opportunity to spend more time in a weight room and do some strength training they'd maintained an understanding of how to execute these things um but equally, it gave them, I think, an edge when it came to being mobile and agile on the field of play. So, what? What? Just give me a, a, a sample of what one of those sessions looked like, just real quickly. Is, mm. you know, what, what sort of exercises, times, reps, that kind of thing? What, what would that look like if you? So, you turn up to the club, you're going to have the first X number of minutes. What? What would you? What sort of thing were you doing with them? Yeah. So um, we we had it um, so that there was a space. It was kind of a referee is changing rooms slash there was some dumbbells and, and bits and bobs in there. Um, but the space was the key thing that we wanted. Um, so we had a whiteboard and every session there was a series of mobility exercises that might look something like, um, and these are kind of taken from yoga and, and other places, um, but like a kind of cobra, which is an extension of the spine. We spend a lot of time mobilizing the spine and the hips um so that might then include uh, some mountain climbers and you know rotation in the thoracic spine so getting some big rotations of the chest um and then from there we'd l- normally go through like an overhead squat or something along those lines so we just use bands or what whatever was available um to, you know even just hands above head um and then some different lunge patterns so over time i could add some some greater levels of not complexity that's the wrong word but i could start to combine movement patterns because they were were evolving how well they they could control and had their basics under their belt um so yeah typically it would have a squat pattern 
a hinge pattern, so like a single leg RDL. Um, and I might change the orientation of that single leg RDL so they'd be holding the position while completing another task. That might be moving their arms around, that might be doing something with their their leg that's suspended. Either way, there's there's this this element of having to control that pattern while doing something else. Um, so yeah, squats, um, like a split squat, a hip hinge, and then some pushing and pulling based tasks. And that was it. So yeah, and then they'd, they were free to go out and, and crack on from there. It's amazing how much you can actually challenge someone with just their body weight, isn't it? You know, you, yeah. you, you've got a semi-professional rugby player, he's out, you know, throwing people around on the pitch for fun. But, you know, if you, if you actually get them into that single leg position in a good hinge, keeping their back flat, trying to move their arm, how, how much of a challenge that is. And yeah. that, that's developing their balance and their back strength and their coordination and, and a lot of things like that, isn't it? So it's amazing yeah. what you can do. I, yeah, I, I, like I say, I'd never change that. Like the one thing I've, I've probably gone more away from is strength in, in, you know, in a traditional sense. So if I had now, you know, it's one or the other, I'd still be going with that you know what they were doing ahead of and and that was with that group you know I, I'm hasten to add yeah yeah so so I'd say that sort of wraps up the first half an hour and now what I'd like to do is go into a bit of a I'm going to call I'm going to call it divergent thinking but I suppose the, the more colloquial way of saying is, is tan, tangents we're just going to go off on tangents here there right. and everywhere and I, I think that that flows in really neatly what you're saying is that you would your your preference now would be to do that kind of work rather than traditional strength stuff which you know was a dominance mm. sort of feature of of what of what you you have been doing uh, in rugby up till now and so that sort of leads us on to your phd so you're currently doing a phd and we've had some fantastic chats around this and i think mm. it's a really interesting thing so we're just going to go off now into a tangent um and have a bit of a deep conversation about that so just explain a little bit about what your PhD is and how you sort of came to it, any backstory there is around that, you know, what what was the yeah. stimulus for you coming to this to this kind of thing? Uh, it's a question I find hard to answer, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, really. Um, so, yeah, it's been a long time in the making, and I guess it was born out of, originally anyway, um, ideas of autonomy in athletes and so I kind of started to really question the things that I really had previously believed in and it was when I when I was challenged by a football player that I was working with who previously was really um, happy and compliant with everything that was ever asked of of him and you know as were the rest of the group um, but then challenged me over something and I kind of it, it for whatever reason it just rear-footed me and while I didn't necessarily show that to that given player at that moment in time I took it away and yeah dwelled on it thought about it and it really challenged me to the point that I was like yeah I, I, so I'll give you some context he challenged me over using a heavy Romanian deadlift uh, barbell exercise which challenges hamstrings gluteals like back previously he was really happy like I say and, and would get on with anything that was asked and and you know he was pretty proficient and strong and all the rest of it but he'd, he had had an injury a hamstring injury and all of a sudden now he he disliked the 
feeling of muscular soreness that that exercise was giving him. I guess there was a, a, an element of fear. You know, he had this injury and, you know, wasn't necessarily trusting of anything that felt like it could be, um, you know, a risk of, of injury or it could be an early warning or sensation that that, that injury was uh, was going to reoccur. So I kind of, yeah, went away and was thinking, well, do you know what? This is what I said to myself. I can't look, I couldn't look him in the eye and tell him that that exercise you know, was the exercise he needed to do. And, you know, I, I kind of come away a li- uh, really, not a little bit, like kind of shocked at that and, and you know, concerned almost. And it just forced me to reevaluate things. And, you know, I guess I've been so sure as a rugby player coming into strength and conditioning where, for me, strength was so important um, you know, arguably that enabled me to have a semi-professional career because I just really did throw myself into, into you know, strength training because I always had this hang-up over not being quite big enough or strong enough. So, yeah, I fully believed in it. And when I first went into the football club, I just rolled it out. There was no doubt in my mind that that was what they needed. And they probably did, but I was kind of so sure of it. And there I was kind of, three years, four years on, like in that job, suddenly like not believing that it was the right thing. It was the answer. So yeah, that, that was interesting. And, and like I say, equally, it was kind of concerning for me because I was like, well, where do I go now? What What is now the answer for me? So yeah, I ended up kind of, I'd already been playing around with ideas of autonomy and I'd seen that that was working um, particularly in season for programming. So with players, what I mean by creating autonomy was to, or giving um, autonomy to players was asking them what they felt like they needed. And it's kind of a dangerous place to start going. And we can talk about that a bit more uh, as we move on. But um, yeah, I, I felt that whenever I'd given players some choice, they'd never, you know, taken taken a piss and they'd always kind of given what was required in that moment in time so for example um the season we we were successful in promotion at south End united i could write on the board you know several options for a lower limb like a lower body strength uh, exercise for them to pick from and within that i could also write some different loading schemes based on how they were feeling so if they were good to go, then we're going heavy and here's your range and this is what we're looking for. If you're feeling like, you know, today's not quite, you know, a heavy loading day for you, well, here's your here's your choice. And that's kind of how we did it. But the players would always give what seemed to be a real honest um, you know, outcome for where they were at. So they'd pick accordingly and they'd pick by and large most of the time to, to work hard and, and go towards the, the heavy oriented strength um, loads anyway so then I kind of um, felt that that was you know a powerful tool uh, to, to make use of this idea of autonomy and um, and so then fast forward with this player challenging me and yeah me kind of querying myself over things and yeah I really then started to feel as though autonomy was the the driving factor behind having success in any program and 
John Kiley, um, who's based at uh, UCLan, he's published some, I find it fascinating, really, really interesting uh, to read uh, work that talks about, it, it challenges traditional concepts in strength and conditioning ultimately. So he's challenged periodization and, and lots of other things around that. Um, and he speaks of um, players and their psycho-emotional attachment to things and, you know, that psycho-emotional psycho piece being so important in the outcome for any athlete um, relating to their training and their program and how stressful that is and the response that that training will produce. So I was already kind of, you know, moving to this place where I guess I was starting to challenge my own thinking maybe some of what i'd learned and some of what the field strength and conditioning field had been putting out there and certainly what i've become educated to to kind of understand being important within strength and conditioning and i was kind of starting to be somewhat against that and you know i know you and i had lots of conversations you know i spoke about this paradox of strength and conditioning how it might be the most important thing, but equally it means nothing <laughs> in that the sport is the most important part of any athlete's kind of being. Um, and performance on game day is what matters most and everything else just has to find a slot and, and be placed, you know, way down the list. And so I started to then see that and recognize that you know performance was what i needed to really focus on and therefore the player knows themselves best what they need to get done to feel in that mindset where you know they are ready to go game day and so i needed them to be my kind of guy i then sit in the ground and um and kind of facilitate that you know so if they need a weight session and it needs to be like uh, strength oriented. Great. Let's, let's put that in place. Uh, if it's actually, no, that's not for me. I don't like the sensation of that. What I do like to do is this, and it might be, you know, um, some, some sled work outside. Brilliant. Let's go with that um, because it matters. And this is in season. It matters game day. It matters in football Saturday or a Tuesday night. Rugby, it matters Saturday or maybe a Sunday. But that's what it's about. And so, you know, despite what I felt I knew and, and what we do know, you know, there's there's research in abundance. There's a body of work that would tell us that some of these, these forms of training have definite impact, positive impact on, you know, human capabilities to, you know, uh, whether it's produced force or you know explosive if you want to describe it more basically explosive strengths and whatever the case may be it definitely works in that regard but the key thing i guess i'm saying is does the athlete themselves believe in it do they believe in something different to that and then you're at odds with that individual and who are you to argue with that person that is the one that's going out performing or or being expected to perform and so, yeah, you kind of, I, I guess I become more humble and yeah, I, I kind of grew up. I, I, I look back at the audacity maybe I came in with to just tell these players, right, this is what you're doing. And then four or five years on, I was just kind of like, uh, no, you, you tell me what you need. 
and then I'll facilitate and then we can have a conversation where I might say to you, okay, there's some, some areas of tension or pinch points where we need to negotiate. Um, but ultimately you tell me what works for you and where you need to be come Saturday or game day. Do you think that came from the relationship that you sort of, because uh, this was quite a long time into, well, not a long time, but it was, it was a way into to your time at the football club that came from the way that you've been coaching them. That if you'd have just been telling them what to do the whole time, they wouldn't have necessarily known what was good for them, what they felt good doing or whatever. They just turn up, Mark says, do this, mm. I do that. You know, that must have grown from somewhere to the extent where they were able to start and to have that conversation with you, you know, there's a lot of coaches that are like, right, here it is, it's three sets of eight and it's that exercise, that exercise. So at that time, that was already a little bit different to what most people were doing that I saw mm. back when you were doing this. So that that where did that come from? That, you know, that, that giving that autonomy to the players is a dangerous thing to do in football. You know, mm. you, you see that a lot at the, at, the, at the very top level is they're terrified to do something with these players in case, you know, they get injured and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I... I... Do you know, I think ultimately, this is where I've done some some real digging um, and kind of tried to ask myself the question. We've had this conversation around ideology versus philosophy um, that you kind of challenged me on. And I think you'd been challenged on by someone else before. And yeah, I think, you know, can you identify truly what your philosophy is and where all of your kind of values come from? Probably not. But you can start to see what traits you have that give insights to what maybe those values deep down are and what you are as a person and who you are. And for me, I, I guess I've never responded well to someone that's dictating to me, micromanaging me, telling me what I have to do at all times. My best work is, is always produced when I know what I'm tasked with doing and I'm then given that autonomy. I'm given, you know, the ability to go and meet my objectives without some breathing down my neck and checking my work or, or telling me what they want it to be. Um, so to answer your question, I guess it just come from what I wanted to be treated like or anywhere, you know, the workplace with anyone. I, I want them to, I, as long as expectations are understood mutually, and I know what I'm there to do, leave me, leave me to get on with it, basically, you know? And so um, that's probably where it stemmed from. But yeah, ultimately, I think with the football club and with the in-season stuff, like the programming, what is, what else can you do? You know, what is the alternative? So, okay, I'll use a rep scheme that reduces the loads. Yeah, that'll, that'll probably work. Um, but then you'll always get some players that say, hey, I want to feel like I've lifted this week. I need to, you know, I need to do something that I feel like I'm going into a game where I've got that kind of tension through, you know, through given muscles or, you know, in their body generally. And so, yeah, if I'm then tinkering with how that player wants to feel going into their game, I better be damn sure that I know that that is the right thing for them. And if a player is telling me that they want something that helps them feel like their best version of their self is going into that game, I kind of need to listen to that. So that's, yeah, I guess it's a combination of me as a person, uh, which is dangerous to kind of say, well, that's what I should be rolling out for everyone else. Cause not everyone's the same, 
but also yeah i guess you can call it player centered although it's a hard thing to define what player centered actually is but yeah it's it's trying to give the player what they need at a given moment in time and football isn't traditionally known for being that well <laughs> player centered is it and it was quite funny when you first started introducing little bits of autonomy to the players, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah there was. Uh, well, so um, we we tried some stuff, and like to be honest, I look back now, and I'm I'm kind of it's sort of laughable at times when I think, wow, what, what were we trying, and why did we do that, and that that we quickly had to move away from. But yeah, the manager um, gave me quite a lot of. Uh, a lot of say and I could have input and we could we could try things and experiment and we did we did some stuff where we'd we just took all the kit out and left it outside and so the players would turn would be ready they'd uh you know turn up have their breakfast and be out and everyone knew it was out for half past ten unless stated otherwise so we got all of the kit out as it would be but not set out not like the typical you know there's cones everywhere and it's uh you know everything's like ultra organized um we just got all the all the stuff out and just put it there and then me and a manager and i think one of the other coaches we stood kind of tucked away away from the training pitch and we were like right we'll just watch so all the players come out and they just stood there kind of expecting you know me or one of the other guys to, to start leading them on the on the warm-up outside and um after a few minutes they kind of stood around looking at each other like what's going on and you know you can tell that you could guess the conversations that were going on and you know like they'd be they'd be kind of uh start starting to get you know annoyed because they haven't like basically if they're not out on time they'll be fined so you know it cuts both ways the expectation is it's a half 10 start and um and then they're looking around and then like a few more minutes pass and we're like right okay are they going to start to take you know take some uh some action here and be proactive and um yeah, they, they weren't initially. They were just stood around kind of like hands up, like, you know, what's going on here? And you could see, you know, they're becoming quite uh, animated in their actions. Um, and then a few more minutes passed by. And then all of a sudden, you could tell a player probably was just like, oh, F it. I'm just going to go and like, you know, get a ball out. And so a player gets a ball out and they start, a couple of them start having a little knockabout, um, you know, passing between them and, and some might have formed a circle, but then something strange and interesting happened. Some other players started to set up some poles and, you know, so they started to set up like a drill, like heading might be, might've been like the back four were doing some heading and clearing. And, you know, the strikers started setting up something at a goal at, at the other end. So all of a sudden they, they took some ownership over this, what seemed to be, you know, in their minds, they might have thought, oh, something's going on. Like the, the manager's having a meeting and it's spilled over and, you know, they're, they're still inside. So eventually they, they started to do some stuff off their own accord. And it was just it was just this experiment to see what happens. And there was that there was that situation. There was another one where we had a player that was on trial with us. And I think they've been at a few a few bigger clubs and um, they kind of said, uh, you know, we had a warm on a given day. We'd have like warm up stations. So we had like one that was more um, speed oriented in a linear fashion. So you know they might sprint over twenty meters. There was another one that was like kind of traditional change of direction. So some different kind of change of direction um, 
tasks so it might be like a, a kind of a cut or whatever the case may be and there was there was another one with banded accelerations so basically what we're saying is look play like guys once you come through the general part of the warm-up and we've done our mobility and movement patterns we've already spoken about already pick what you feel like is going to benefit you the most so we knew what the session the main body of the session was what they're going into so you know if it was some uh, small sided games or whether it was larger sided games or larger larger pitch dimensions and then the players could go into what they felt was most beneficial for them so there was that kind of level of autonomy there as well so they could pick but this this player um come over he went what we pick we choose i was like yeah like, <laughs> i said which one do you want to go through he went no nah, i've never heard of this ever i've never heard it and he was like an old you know a bit, a bit older a bit more experienced being at high high level he was like no nah, i've never i've never heard of this before like what's going on and i was like no like it's not te-. so that was the other thing like players would think they're being tested yeah. you know if i if i said to them right you can do this or you can do that or if you don't want to do that at all that's fine they'd feel like they're being tested and i was going i was going to then pass that on to the manager and that was that was going to be a criteria used against them or for them for selection so you know that that that's from somewhere that's in my mind, part of their upbringing, and I refer to their socialization within their sport. So they've been socialized uh, by their coaches at previous clubs or academy level, where they're only ever told what to do, not necessarily given any freedom of choice. And when they are offered it, you know, they don't quite know what to do with it. And so, yeah, there there was a couple of examples there. I think there's another one that, um, you know, you've probably... (laughs) we've spoken about before and I think this was actually a, 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 a rugby club and it was players again semi-professional this was semi-professional players um, and they they were turning up and you know all the stuff was written on the board you know equipment's there this is the session that, that's your part of the session anyway I remember um, he was a great he is a great lad um, he just walked in he was just like effing hell what is it another effing DIY session like <laughs> dirty, dirty self session and he yeah he he was someone that I know for a fact you know he he'd played some good level rugby and he was used to a way of being coached it was very much like this is what you're doing get on with it um and you know they, he was successful you know he he'd had a decent career and played championship and um yeah just that made me laugh you know it's just like that's you know i'm thinking that you know they'll be coming in thinking oh this is great you know we'll do what we need to do but actually you know you've got to think of it the other way they're coming in they've done a day's work day's graft maybe they're turning up and then they're being told right go and sit up go and think about what you want to do and actually they just want to come along and, and be told right get out there this is what we're doing be instructed and work hard basically um so yeah that's that's kind of where I think I've said earlier, you can it can be dangerous autonomy um, and it might not necessarily be the right thing at that moment in time. But I've gone very much around the houses here. So I was saying about my PhD and that's where I was looking at initially. Um, and it kind of, yeah, it didn't quite take off in that regard. It nearly, it nearly did and then it didn't for a number of reasons as, as these things kind of tend to. They, they meander and take time and, and evolve and now I'm actually doing a PhD looking at the place of fundamental movement skills um, in basketball, in youth basketball players. Now, I guess why this relates to some of what I was originally looking at was this idea that if you look at the, the sport, 
any sport. So if we do look at rugby or basketball, what we see in the skills, the athleticism, the dynamics of the sport and the, the sport and its rules that dictate how players move and, and the skills that are necessary. I was looking at strength and conditioning and thinking, well, how does that transfer to that? It, it doesn't. Like, it can't. So it, it was off the back of these thoughts I was having that stemmed from, you know, being challenged by players or this player that in particular that was saying, well, why am I doing that exercise? And that's where I was really thinking, well, you know, in youth athletic development models, we always kind of talk about and spend time saying we must develop these things ahead of, you know, specialising. And I was like, well, how is that the case? Because I know through my experience working with basketball players, they can do extraordinary things and rugby players. You know, they can do some unbelievable things in the game, see things, act, you know, on, on you know, a, a some space or a situation, a scenario that unfolds and they can make something happen. And it's just like, wow. So I'm like, well, those players there, I know for a fact when it comes to strength and conditioning in a traditional sense, don't do it or, you know, don't do it very well. Um, so there's a disconnect in other words. And I was like, well, if this disconnect is there, what am I, what am I trying to put in place? Because actually I want to put in place the best possible thing to enhance these athletes and their potential in their sport. Um, you know, and yeah, is there is there a gap? You know, so I mentioned earlier, all of the body of literature that supports the fact that, you know, strength and conditioning has an important place. It's like, well, okay, no one, you can't dispute that, but what is its place? That's what I wanted to, to really understand. Anyway, so I kind of, yeah, I'm coming at this initially thinking, right, is there no place uh, if we're looking at like ecological dynamics and um, understanding that movement emerges within sport because of the constraints imposed on the individual and therefore no movement is is ever really repeated um, as such in, in the same way. So I was like, right, well, why repeat a hip hinge, you know, and say, right, this is how we want you to perform it and look for control in that pattern when it it doesn't happen like that in the game. So hang on. Um, so let me just say that, and just to simplify that, <coughs> because obviously there's some terms in there like ecological dynamics, etc. <coughs> is that on on the sports pitch you're going to come across various different scenarios? Then none of them are ever going to be anywhere near the same. And so in the gym it's very controlled and uh, very sta- you know sort of very static, etc. But how does that carry over into the dynamic sporting actions that you're doing? You know, just repeating that very controlled, very constrained movement in the gym. Yeah. How, how can that possibly carry over? Or if it does, how do you know that that is what it is that's carrying over? That's Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, if we're talking about raising the force potential of a muscle group, um, like doing it, doing the then need to spend lots of time, training someone to become proficient at let's say a squat a back squat and become confident as well to load with a substantial amount of load that's going to lead towards those alterations occurring okay so you know arguably a lot of the football players i've worked with i don't necessarily believe that they're overloading 
to the extent that is required for them to truly get stronger. So if if that squat isn't the, the right thing for them because they're not actually achieving overload, but a leg press, which is just, you know, it's not the same, but, you know, if we are trying to target lower limb strength um, and they can overload that with enough loads uh, in terms of how much weight they're applying, well, why do any of the, the squat learning, you know, to get to that place and why spend time there? And so, yeah, that, that's kind of it. If, if actually all we do want to do is change force capabilities in the player, then do we not just want to use the most simplified means to get them there um, and then just let them focus on the sport itself? So that was kind of some of the stuff I had going around my mind. And then um, now I'm, I'm kind of changing through this process now of re, uh, you know researching and reading and starting to hopefully get to a place where I can uh, get some some data and, and start to build um, you know some research true research around this I'm starting to be less sure that that was correct <laughs> um, and it kind of comes full circle in that I, I'm coming back to this idea of these basic movement skills um, and you know we call it fundamental movement I don't I don't necessarily think fundamental is the right term um, that's why I kind of throw in fundamental athletic skills because I think they're precursors to things that we we kind of advance in kind of a more of a strength and conditioning sense, advanced with either load or you know the the velocities or you know other other things variables that we can manipulate, but it's still part of you know strength and conditioning uh, in a traditional or, or very much um, generalized sense. So. Yeah, I'm kind of now having some different lines of inquiry going on in my head and through the work that I'm I'm trying to get going and, and research I'm I'm hoping to do with the PhD, um, which you know we can we can start to delve into um, if if I'm not boring the hell out of, no, no, no. of you with the things I'm talking about. So um, yeah, in that regards, what I'm starting I've kind of given some of this um, information already, but. What I'm starting to to feel and see and and you know what's coming through to me now in in terms of my thinking is this what what we want to do is give the body greater uh, a term degeneracy okay and it you know this this ties in with I've mentioned ecological dynamics um, and this this idea that the body has many degrees of freedom okay so it can move um and and achieve a given outcome with any number of different ways of doing that with different structures for example so i sometimes get people to do this i say right if you're just sat there pick up pick up a pen okay and then right pick up that pen and now put it down now pick up that pen without looking okay now put that pen down now pick up that pen oh and before you pick up that pen pick up um you know your glasses case and then pick up the pen. The outcome is that you pick up the pen, but how you've done it has been different each time. And so with the, the movement skills, like I said earlier, I think that we become really, really efficient. And again, this come, comes from some of uh, my reading around John Kiley's ideas. We become very, very efficient the more time we spend practicing something. 
um, because that's how our body is designed. We, we, we become really good at something um, because our body deems it that that's something that it needs to be more efficient at doing. So it's less, um, it's less demanding and less uh, taxing of energy. So in this regard, then, what I think the fundamental movement skills do is open up other other avenues um, for your body to then take advantage of and tap into when you're back in the sport. Okay, so let's talk about the hips situation earlier. I was saying about, you know, limited range in the hips and, you know, that might lead to um, pathologies. It might have consequences around lower back pain. But if we've got someone that now can offset some of that because they're able to utilize some different structures to execute a task, and it might just be, you know, in a defensive stance in a basketball setting um, and being able to hold that position, but sharing the load, sharing the tissue burden amongst more than the same muscle groups that have typically been used by that individual because they're so they've been so used to executing in that way and now you're saying hey there's some other some other muscle groups over here that you can pass this on to okay and and take advantage of so that's one side of it and then um you know like if they've suddenly got this ability to let's say um let's say we've spent some time working on general acceleration skill so how how they accelerate their body whether that's over two three meters or you know they're a rugby player and they're accelerating 10 15 meters um right well let's try and give you these different options you know give your nervous system different options to tap into when it needs it now i'm not necessarily saying that you consciously can tap into these that's another that's another conversation and you know there's there's um i think Stuart mcmillan um said something really interesting in a uh, podcast with uh robert pacey where he spoke about this moment in time where if you're sprinting and he was referring to himself in a football game and he knew what he needed to do he consciously was like right do this you know kind of do this he, he gave himself his, his cues his instructional information because he had time so he would knocked the ball past a defender. He had space and time where he was like, right, now do this and you'll go faster. Because he's okay, a sprint now, coach. He, he yeah, yeah sorry, he's a sprint. Yeah, he's a sprint coach. And he'd spent a lot of time sprint training. And so when he went back into playing football, which was the sport he'd played as, as a youngster, he could apply this consciously. Now, the things I'm talking about, you know, I'm not necessarily, I'm not going down that road just yet. I'm just saying that the body uh, will execute things and if it can tap into something else because it's got this improved capability or improved capacity to do so, then you're kind of sharing the workload, in other words, and you're offering the body a different uh, different avenue, like I say, to, to utilise. Um, and then the other side of that is if we are talking about the consciousness even without trying to apply cues, the fact that a player has has done something to improve various capabilities, 
and that might just be as simply as they've done some some sprint training say simply but they've you know they've spent some dedicated time looking at improving how they run and being more effective at that they're of course aware of that so with that comes a confidence with that confidence comes a newfound set of what they might um, they may perceive as opportunities okay and that that other term affordance okay so they now can exploit different situations because they now feel that they are able to because maybe they've spent some time on um change direction speed or linear speed so okay that gap there i'm gonna go and i'm I'm gonna go i'm gonna try and get through that and actually i will get through it there's a belief there's a confidence so that all in all is kind of where i'm looking at trying to build research um and ultimately i've come back around to the place of strength and conditioning and i mentioned the paradox and you know like so yeah i kind of had this situation where i was kind of really unsure about it i'm more sure now um but i'm kind of i see it in a different way so i don't see it as the the whole answer but i see it as having far greater importance than a a certain period of time I, i started to believe that it had do you think do you think that was because you'd spent time as a sport coach and and then went into snc so you can sort of see both sides of the equation is you know so traditionally some snc can get right it's, it's massively changed now but sort of back in the day it was like you know well it's fine because we just bumped the strength numbers strength numbers up in the gym and we know they're stronger and that will mean they're probably going to be a bit quicker we'll do some speed work and it'll be a bit bit quicker and and we know we've sort of taken care of that it was the other side of it is you see some players that are horrendous in the gym like won't train whatever they're unbelievable on a pitch but they're amazing on on uh they're amazing on the pitch but no good in the gym and so do you think i know it's interesting because when we first started having this conversation, you saw you were almost anti SNC, which mm. is what you sort of referenced earlier. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. almost, I almost want to chuck all the barbell stuff away and, and concentrate more on highly variable skills and all the rest of it. Mm. So it's just talk about that, about how you sort of, what, what your thoughts were, because you were very traditional with squat bench mm. deadlift, you know, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. You push squat, push, pull. So the fundamental movements were basically squat, push, pull, bend, twist, lunge. We sort of take care of the big ones, the squat, push, pull with the big barbell exercises, get you nice and strong. And then you sort of went through a bit of a transition and you're almost coming back full circle now. But it's like that idea of the elegance, uh, complexity, you know, where mm. it, it's almost what you were talking about before, but there's another layer of yeah complexity. Yeah. And, and this is where I kind of, I, I sound like and i probably have already i contradict myself or i may seem like i'm contradicting myself but yeah it's layers and um you know you you add layers and you know sometimes take away layers based on i guess uh experiences or you know that could include reading or things that just spark something new in your mind or you just re revisit a a subject matter and then add a different level of, of thought to it so um yeah, I guess through looking at ecological dynamics and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of nowhere near where, you know, I, I need to be with this stuff right now. I've spent a lot, lot of time trying to better understand it. Um, give us a quick, give us a quick rundown while trying yeah, to remain on that track because we're going right. to diverge off here. But let's just, yeah, yeah. So, ecological uh, dynamics is quite interesting. So put it in layman's terms, try not to. Yeah, so ultimately it's this, 
idea that movement when i say movement emerges movement just movement will occur based on um the constraints that are given at a given moment in time so the constraints will come from the environments um they will come from the task so that could be a um, the game itself a situation or scenario within a game um so it could be the scrum the scrum has constraints it has the laws and what you can and can't do um you've got the the opponents the the pack and your opponent in front of you as to you know um what you may need to do in your given setup and then you've got your own constraints the individual constraints which might be your um you know your knowledge of your capability if we're talking about a prop and scrummaging um the weight and yeah you, you know your mass uh, <laughs> your strength levels how you done in the last scrum uh where you are on the so if we're then talking about the environment well where are where is that scrum on the pitch are you five meters from your line or are you five meters from their line and that will change the orientation of the task yeah. so all of those things then dictate that movement occurs if we give another example let's say how so a defender's coming across and how a player decides to respond to that arguably there's no pattern that's ingrained that the athlete will utilize as a kind of as a blueprint if you like they won't they won't have that and so the argument is not to have technical models so you can't teach someone um this technique and this technical model of what to do in that scenario because uh it, it happens online it happens in that moment and almost it's too quick, it's too quick non, yeah yeah not non-consciously to to compute and to then act with uh this uh, kind of thought process it's more that it just happens it occurs um so that that then i mentioned earlier this disconnect with well that's so far removed from strength and conditioning and what we we do in terms of repetition and you know creating i've mentioned that word earlier consistency and consistency in the adaptations occurring off the back of that it's like well there are odds with one another so by no means did i kind of go down the road of um you know like throwing randomness into strength and conditioning but what i did play around with was saying right each and every set i want you to do something slightly different and this come through some of our conversations that you know it's funny how you have conversations and then you forget about them and then a few years later something kind of pops into your head and you're like oh that's that's what i'm going to do so it was a case of right okay so off the back of you know it might be with uh dumbbell pressing right so dumbbell press but on the next set i want you to use a kettlebell rather than a dumbbell and now it's a different it's something different to deal with and on your next set barbell so you're pressing but so we're consistent with it being a press but the task is different and that in my mind becomes something that was kind of then having a bit more sense to it and a bit more logic in terms of not being out there not being like a circus in the gym but you know there's there's a given outcome we're working on but we're just challenging that in a slightly different way now that then opens up this whole thing around well where where do you need to remain consistent with what you're trying to achieve versus adding that variability there and i guess that's a kind of time and a place thing and there's maybe some intuition that comes with that or yeah just just a given moment in time it might be a given player like he's ready for that they want that 
they, they're happy with that. Whereas you might, I mentioned earlier, some autonomy. A player might say, no, I, I don't want to mess around. I want to get five sets of five done with that weight. You know, that's what I'm happy doing. I feel like I'm making the, the gains that I wish to make. Um, and they are with that exercise. <laughs> they are making the gains that they wish to make with the strict overhead press. But what I'm I'm looking at is, well, what can we do to make those those kind of alterations applicable and carry over and transfer into your game and so I, I guess it was I sometimes look at this and think I was a bored S&C coach yeah. I just become bored of, of writing the same program and just spinning it a different way so oh yeah this rep scheme and that rep scheme now and um yeah I just got to the point where I needed it to to feel like it was offering more to to better transfer into the game because of this this disconnect that I felt existed. So do you want to talk about variability a little bit because that is something that sort of comes into this. So the game is highly variable, and the uh, the, the weight room is is highly sort of structured. It's highly block practice that kind of thing, and that was the sort of thing we were sort of talking around at the time, wasn't it? And I was sort of of the opinion is that yeah yeah the the gym is quite block practice. It's sets etc because you're in there just to get strong Mm. then you go out and you play your sport and that's where you get your variability and that's where you know if the practice is well designed but then your sort of point to me was practice isn't all that well designed all the time they're very block in the gym and then very block on the on the training field or whatever and so it's it was trying to introduce some variability so probably explain a little bit about variability as a concept and then because i think that underpins a lot of what you're talking about there yeah I guess um, there's different ways of, of there's different contexts we can look at with uh, variability. But we I said earlier about movement, we we don't perform the same movement in precisely the same way. Even if you are repeating a movement pattern such as a squat, one repetition to the next will change because there's a there's there's postural sway. There's you know. Um, a, 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 given levels that are, um, you know, below the consciousness, there's there's alterations to how we perform a movement, you know, and um, basically we, we want to make sure that we're not going to fall over or, we're you know, we're going to execute or, or execute the task that we're hoping to, to execute. I'm kind of losing, losing my uh, train of thought here, but ultimately the task is the squat and we want to execute that bar moving from the top of the, uh, the squat position downward to the bottom, then back up to the top again. So start, sorry. So how we do that will vary from one repetition to the next. The task is accomplished. Um, you know, you, you probably are aware of this. Sometimes it's not you necessarily controlling it, but you'll feel that the squat on one repetition was a little bit unbalanced. The next repetition, it felt good. The next one felt good again. The last one was a little bit wobbly. Yeah, every repetition is different. So that's variability. So there's an argument to say, well, variability happens anyway. So, you know, let 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 that happen. Um, and then I guess you could also try and uh, accentuate the variability and, and add to it by some of the things I spoke about earlier, where, you know, we're, we're trying to get this to have greater transfer into the game. And so, you know, if we're talking about that shoulder press again, so one at one time you might do a push press and then the next one's a strip press and then the next set is a kettlebell, the next set is a dumbbell. 
Um, you might have weight that's slightly uneven on another set, whatever the case may be. Because if you then think about the line out, if, uh, if you're using that exercise for, you know, pre- uh, as a preparation um, exercise within an off-season program for players that lift in the line out. Well, you're kind of saying, well, yeah, you, you, in the game, you will get the unexpected. A player will kind of get knocked. Where, you know, they'll, they'll not get to the place that you expected them to be because they get knocked by an opponent get into that space and therefore you lift them in not the optimum position that you've been training for all week but you've got to find the solution to that because you're in the game it's competitive now and you need to win that ball so you execute the task that might look ugly you know you've got one half half um flex with one arm fully ex- extended with the other um and you know one foot isn't where you wanted to have it your feet aren't squared they're not offset they're somewhere in between well like in your preparation, maybe we need to have some of that. So then it's like, right, well, do we need to do that in our generalized strength and conditioning? Do we need to encourage it within the game context? So in training, do we need to force it to happen? And so what I mean by that is, you know, maybe we make lineouts go bad um, and create, so have live lineouts. Don't stop having so much that's unopposed because arguably, there is no transfer in that. And every time that line out occurs unopposed, you know, you're, you're training for something that is further away from the reality of the, the performance. So, yeah, it, it's like, well, where does it sit? And in my mind, I I've moved to a place where I wanted to encourage more variability. So while I'm not a sports coach, what I would do towards that is start to you know i would layer things into a warm-up so i'd have my very basic mobility and movement patterning um i'd change the movement patterns so there was variability but it was the same thing so i mentioned it could be a squat that's an overhead squat in another practice warm-up it might be that it's a squat where they pause at the bottom Another one, it might be they, you know, they they drop into that squat with greater speed and they've got to then control and, you know, basically hit the brakes at the bottom of the squat. I just change the orientation of the same task and that that prevents it becoming boring as well. It pre- prevents the monotony of it, but there's a purpose behind it. And then I'd start to build up towards more specific tasks for the practice they were going into. And then I'd throw some chaos in at the end. So, you know, the chaos would be something that might be a game. I might encourage them to be in positions. If it was like a defensive type thing in basketball they were going into, um, then I'd typically have them in positions that require defensive-based stances. Um, And it might be a game where they're rolling a ball to each other, even a tennis ball. So they can only roll it along the floor. They They can't throw it above the ground. And that's forcing them into this lower position, but it's competitive and they're moving around. So it's reactive and they're finding space and they're closing down. Uh, and then that would be the last thing I'd do before they go into then the basketball specific stuff with their technical coaches. And so in my mind, I'm trying to then sequence these, uh, these kind of events within the warm up that are really, really general and lacking no, well, lacking the variability in terms of the, the task execution um, and then moving into something that becomes more and more kind of chaotic, um, even though it's still not the sport. It's got 
it's got remnants of the sport or it's got characteristics of the sport or the tasks that they're about to go into. And that then I found would become that become my framework for warm ups. Uh, in most, you know, in any sporting environment, I've I've kind of carried that forward. So, um, yeah, it's the framework of uh, of building from the consistent elements towards the more varied and more chaotic, and then they're ready to go. You've kind of covered all bases in in that warm up. So for for rugby, would you have elements? You'd have like a general warm up for the whole squad, and then as you're playing a match, you know, the backs go off to go and run some moves and the fours will go to practice line out and stuff then you'd throw some extra little bits into that just to yeah I, I guess um maybe not not quite that at times that 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 would be a good idea um but it might be things such as um if if we're doing some speeds so i in i mentioned earlier movement skills and mobility you know, that is something that has to remain in every single session. That's the consistent element, but speed also. So we'll always have acceleration and we'll always try and have an element where the players are opening out in a very much linear sense. Um, and so that would happen in every session at varying distances based on how far we were from, from the game. Um, but I'd, I'd then start to introduce elements of chaos within that. So it might be something that involves um, a, uh, like a defender or, you know, it, it, even really basically it could involve a takeoff of Bulldog, you know, in, in terms of there's they've got to get to another place. Uh, I might task the defenders. They've got to do something first so that they can't simply line up their man and, and kind of you know take him out the player has to get somewhere then get back so it's challenging for everyone and then they're having to use the speed work that we've done but now apply it in more of a context that has more relevance or, or not relevance because the other work had relevance but um in a more game specific sense yeah, yeah, yeah. more game like yeah and so i've some of the conversation we sort of had around about that at the time was there was a time where you 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 weren't serious when you said it, it was like yeah but I quite like your thought processes you were just asking like really strong questions of things mm. it's like do we need to do all the S&C stuff that we're doing because just this is what you're saying to me it's like could it just be done almost through like parkour and animal move you know because there is a high element of mm. strength coordination variability all these types of things and so at one stage you're almost like yeah well but why couldn't it be that what would that look like you know how much strength do you need and now i think you've sort of been through what you're saying is so you started off you were very very traditional mm. it was squat bench dead and we sprint or whatever we keep all those elements separate right to the other end of the scale it's it's almost like free form movement and all the rest of it mm. and then now it, now it seems to be sort of landed back in the middle with blending elements of that is earn the right through your fundamental skills to then be able to inhabit more chaotic situations that you're probably more likely to come across in the game, and you you want to do that in training rather than mm. you don't want to be you don't want to be you don't want someone to lose their footing while you're lifting them for the first time in a game and really damage your shoulder or whatever mm. because you've got no variability because you've only ever done strict pressing. Yeah. So is that, is that where you're at now with your? Yeah, I I kind of uh, I'm more yeah I'm I'm more aligned to yeah what you said there kind of i guess i've i've 
been to some places the pendulum swung it's now somewhere more towards the middle but the interesting thing about the parkour is that's an area that i'm really keen to to actually explore um more deeply and uh hopefully develop some research around and and i I, to be honest like it opens up that question again like fundamental movement skill fundamental like if you're asking that question fundamental for what is the question so what's it fundamental for so if we're talking about hinging and this that the other in terms of those you know basic i said earlier fundamental athletic skills they're not fundamental necessarily for sport they're not fundamental uh skills for life are they so you know you don't you don't need to be able to, you know, execute a single leg hip hinge to survive. You know, we don't need to do that. It's not, it's not fundamental to, to life. Um, but, you know, it what, what I think it does do is leads to a place where I mentioned earlier, degeneracy, um, a, a, different, a different way of executing something that might help that individual in their sport, whether that's to offset the burden, as I mentioned, and that might be related to... Um, uh, injury uh, risk or um, they can start to do these different things that they typically before would have refrained from because they didn't know they could do them or they they couldn't do them because of some restriction um can i can i just summarize that quickly right so just to see if i've got this right and to put it into more simple terms so when we talk about degeneracy it means having a range of options okay so yeah, if if one thing doesn't work, you've got something else to go to. De- degeneracy would be having two kidneys. So if one kidney packs up, you've got another kidney to sort of take over. And and in my perspective, that would be someone. What I typically see with kids who who've only ever really played rugby is that they can't squat. They can't sit their hips down between their feet, and they always bend over. They bend forward. And so if we give them if we correct their squat so they can sit down, they've now got a bit of degeneracy because they can hinge and bend as if they're going to go into a scrum, but they can also sit down. So, so that gives them degeneracy so that they can scrummage because they can hinge and bend, but they can also squat into a deep squat, which will allow them to lift in the line out or, or do things like that. Yeah. And give them other, so de- degeneracy is giving them more movement options. Yeah, and absolutely. That's my, it was quite interesting that you sort of framed it the other way is giving them more options. My, my thing was always that they're, they're limited and so we need to open up their fu- fundamental movement skills. It, would, would that be a fair? Yeah, I th- yeah. I mean, there's different ways. You're terming the same thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you know, um, and and you know, to add to this, the the body can do all of these different things. You know, I'm not necessarily saying we have to teach it. I'm just mm. saying we're we're allowing the the body to experience some of those things that it might not have done before yeah, for no yeah. for no you know no good reason necessarily but it's um, not been challenged to do they've not been yeah. challenged to do they can do it they've just not been challenged to do exactly it. so yeah i i don't teach people to squat you know i i don't i don't teach people to move we don't because you know i always use this argument with um with my children like i who taught them to walk mm. i didn't talk i didn't teach them to walk like they they wanted to walk they then over time develop the strength and the coordination and the necessary prerequisites to then get onto their feet and, you know, work out how to, how to walk and how to balance and maintain stability. And that occurred over, over time when I guess they, they had the, um, the abilities. 
Yeah, they had the that, yeah they had the ability to do that. Until they did, they they got around the room by crawling because that's all they could do, or, or you know some babies roll, and that's the way they they complete the task. I need to get from A to B. I can't walk, roll. <laughs> like that's that's how they solve that that um, problem of of getting from one place to the next. And that would be going back to what you were talking about, what John John Kiley talks about is that intrinsic motivation is that the baby generally learns to walk because they see other people getting around nice and easy and they want to get to that toy on the other side of the room. So they've got, so it's that motivation. It's that psychosocial thing that allows you to learn to do possibly the most complex motor skill. I mean, we all do it without thinking, but if you imagine it, if a kid that can't walk to learn to walk is probably the most complex thing that you could learn to do and they can't speak. So you can't tell them how to do it. They have yeah. to learn via trial and error. And yeah, Absolutely. And, and, you know, you can't, you can't tell them, you can't, there's no cue for that. Is there? yeah. There's no uh, instructional information that will help them and they can't, they're not cognizant of what they're doing as such. They're, they're just, they've got that motivation to, to want to emulate their parents and, and mimic and then ultimately be able to do more by themselves, you know. Uh, and that's um, the autonomy. It brings back to this autonomy. Yeah. And it's, it's quite interesting because this, now starts to tie up everything that you've sort of been through on this PhD from starting on. And I was one of the questions I was going to ask you is why the autonomy, but I think that answers it pretty well. It's like you can see, and then that brings in that in, intrinsic motivation, yeah. and and it's them drawing it out of themselves via trial and error. And everyone's gait is totally different. That, that's your variability because of how tall they are, or injury history, or how you know various different things. So it's quite interesting. So to sort of try and wrap that up, then if if uh, we've been on we've been on quite a good tangent on a lot of these things so what would it what would a an ideal environment look like for you then for i don't know if we say grassroots or a youth setup for, for rugby let's stick specifically to rugby what sort of things would you and you don't have to go into too much depth but some examples would be good is that you know you've got a rugby coach who's dealing with a under 12s or whatever bearing in mind some of the things that we've been talking about what what sort of way would you tackle developing some of these capabilities and degeneracies and mm. all those different things how what would that, what would an ideal situation look like for you in in let's say let's take two scenarios like a a, a senior team and and then a youth team yeah i think ideal setup firstly um for anything else is kind of the the infrastructure of of a club like if there's if there's one thing that you need as a coach of any age group, it's the space and it's pitch availability. So, you know, having pitches that are there and are being uh, available throughout the entire season, the winter period, there's no, you know, situation where, um, you know, the pitches are unplayable and you can't utilize them uh, during some of those winter months. Um, and the space around, um, you know, like you go to clubs and there's, four teams training on one pitch you know and it's like i'm talking like adolescent age groups so you know 12 13 up to 15 16s they're on one pitch you know so that's so limiting i guess you can say well you know we use those constraints and we we, we do things a certain way but at some point in time um that space is is inhibiting so i think space is key pitches that are well maintained is you know really important a nice nice 
clubhouse and all of those things I think are really, really important. Um, and then, you know, before, before all the other kit, you know, all, all you actually need is the is space, the space required for your players, balls and, and bibs. And that's all you don't, you don't need anything else. Um, and then the other main thing really is an educational framework. So if we're talking about youth, um, then I think there needs to be an educational framework in place that kind of stands as governance. So, you know, we're looking at the management of players and the games, how many games are being expected, how many games are being played. Um, you know, there's the players that are still uh, being exposed, I think, to, to way too many games um, in a given week. Uh, you know, I, I I did that as a player, so you know, I, I I look back and I wonder, was that the right thing? Was it not? Does it does it does it enter um, you know this idea around uh, player welfare in the way that I now think it does, or you know, is that part of kind of you know in inverted commas character building or resilience to have to play multiple games? I'm not I'm not sure it is, but that's what we used to do and I'm still seeing it now. Um, but yeah, so this idea of an educational framework around management of games, scheduling, um, athletic development. So, you know, these movement skills where there's a warm up framework that says, right, all players will follow these things. Um, whether that is, you know, strictly the fundamental movement skills or it's just some generalized stuff. So it's not too quick to, you know, want to teach an adult form of the game, you know, is in like, here's, here's some, uh, here's some strike moves. Here's, you know, here's the pattern of play that we're using. Um, you know, there might be, there might be elements that it's just, okay, we're going to, we're going to play some different games and that's part of your athletic development. You know, we might have um, elements where there is, uh, there's always to be some, some speed-based work, you know, whatever the case may be, some athletic development. I'm, I'm kind of going off on one there again. So, yeah. um, and then, you know, things such as clear concussion management um, protocol. Mm. I think, I think it's an educational piece and it's, it's across the board within the club that, you know, this is what we do. Um, if you are, if you are a member of this club or you're a coach at this club or your son or daughter plays, at this club this is this is what we stand by you know and we ensure that our coaches are educated not just with you know a, a qualification a coaching qualification but you know these things around uh, the, the things i've just mentioned there you know i think that's where clubs need to be you know i think we've got you know, there's a responsibility there yeah i, I think that's a, a massive thing because you only need to go and talk to a couple of people to realize there's not only a, a huge gap in understanding but also interpretations of things it's written down in black and white i've got it on my phone as a pdf the concussion protocols and i sort of tell the kids i say right here it is and they're like, oh i thought that meant that i could just go back after 25 no 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 there's a graduated return to play it's very specific and sort of blows you away that there are interpretations of that <clears throat> but i think it's sort of important what you say is that uh, the key thing is space if you've got space you can do a lot with with your kids and and i think bringing it right back to the beginning 
just making sure that they've got good technique in, in the fundamental movements, which I would say the squats, pressing, pushing, pulling, bending, twisting, lunging. Getting just, I think having opportunities to practice doing those things is, is really important. So, you know, if you've got a, a club, and it might be in the senior squad as well, is like I say, you know, you only need to look around, even in some pro environments, to see what people's interpretation of a press up is or, yeah. <laughs> or a lunge, even, you know, and to sort of try and spend a little bit of time. There's loads of resources, like we were saying before, there's a lot of resources online that will show you what a good lunge should be, what a good press up should be. And if you hammer those things into the, the, the kids or to the senior players, frequently, as frequently as you possibly can. And, and I think the other thing you talked about was movement breaks as well, is using those things within movement breaks. Yeah. And, and yeah, just looking after your players would be huge. Yeah. So if, if anyone's got any questions about this kind of thing, where can they contact you? Um, yeah, so I've, uh, well, I've got a Twitter uh, handle, which I'll just bring up because... Um, no one ever knows. I, no, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So it's uh, at Mark D underscore uh, Williams. Um, so that's Twitter. Uh, otherwise, email um, is MDWSC, so that's A-N-D, so the, the word and, uh, S&C uh, at gmail.com. So MDWSC at gmail.com. Cool. So if anyone's interested in some of the things we've sort of spoken about, they can just drop you a line and, and find out a little bit more. Well, I, I think that's uh, that's fascinating, and I think we've co- covered some really good ground. It's just it, very interesting to see the the journey that you've been on. I hate using that word. Actually, I shouldn't have said that. But, <laughs> I know what you mean. But, yeah, management talk. But um, yeah, that thought process that you've been through. You know, from the very traditional SNC going to try and do things that were much more off the wall. And I think the thing that impressed me a lot about sort of watching you coaching is that you just go out and do things in a well thought out way. So you don't just go out and just throw things against the wall, see what sticks. It's like, right, what can I do? How can I do this? And give it a good go, give it an opportunity to fly and then sort of keep what works and let die what, what doesn't go so mm. well. That's, that's what I think has, has been quite good. Um, and then looking all around the variability and, and all the skill acquisition stuff. I think that was a lot of the things that have informed this conversation that to now being in the position where you've got a good blend of both, you know, you've got the traditional strength stuff in there, but also, you know, your variability and all the rest of it. Yeah. Everything has a place, doesn't it? And it's yeah. just working out what, what something's place is and where it best sits. And, um, you know, that, that can come down to many factors and yeah, I, I kind of, I'm glad that you've been able to see some sense in what I've said because um, yeah, it, everything in my mind connects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard for, you know, to put that across and yeah. to get someone else to be able to tap into the way you see something because everyone sees it differently. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy if you've been able to see those dots. Yeah. yeah. In some um, form. And also the, the final thing on that aspect is, is to sort of, to be comfortable coaching what you're, you know, to be comfortable in what you believe in. So, you know, in the SNC, there's people that are absolutely adamant that it's Olympic weightlifting. There's people that are absolutely adamant you don't need any weights at all, any external resistance at all. And so the, you sort of alluded to this before, and it's the John Kiley stuff. Is that, you know, if, if, if you believe in something, it will work for you. And we've had a lot of conversations around that. And the, 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 
it might not be a perfect program on paper, but if it's something you believe in and something you're going to put your heart and soul into, you'll have much better outcomes than that, than something that's technically perfect, but you've got questions around or you don't really understand or you don't really believe in that just will not come across to the players. So it's in, you've, got to, you've got to work your way through this process and it's hard, but in the end you come to something that actually looks very similar to what you were doing before, but yeah. it's a totally different underpinning, yeah. a totally different thought process behind it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's the incredible thing. It might look exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've actually moved nowhere, but yeah. yeah, you, yeah. you do so. get different outcomes. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, Mark. Thanks ever so much, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, great talking. Thank you. Come on, mate.